Seattle is a city with a long and storied history of struggle, yet in this city of so many, history often turns its gaze on only a few. These are stories of those left out of the tapestry of Seattle's history, those who lived through struggles and were left in the dark, but whose stories one can learn from if one looks hard enough. My name is Stellan Harris, and these are the Long Shadows of Seattle. Having a place to go is something that many people inherently associate with the idea of being free. Not just the idea of having a place to rest your head at night, but having a place to spend your time. Whether that be relaxing in a bar after work, or engaging in a hobby with members of your community, or watching a sport with other individuals who share your passion. One of the most common ways to express a feeling of disconnection is to say that you don't feel like you have anywhere to go. That maybe even your home does not feel like a home, whether it is or not. There's an idea in community building of what's called a third place. A third place is a place that people in a community can go that is distinctly different from either home or work. The first and second places, respectively. The third place serves as a place for a community to come together, to interact outside of the strict power dynamics of either the workplace or the home. This third place, it is said, is important to establish a feeling of belonging within a community, to avoid a sense of disconnection from a place that a community inhabits. For a good portion of American history, that sense of disconnection could be felt very pointedly by black people in America, with the only place that society had designated for them to come together in community was the church, a place that can very often have its own unique power dynamics that might not be as much of a refuge for some as it is for others. What few public facilities they did have outside of the church were often run down or outright dangerous to inhabit, and the systems in place were designed to keep things that way. Simply another tendril of the institution, worming its way in to enact racist ideologies upon the population. And yet, there have always been attempts to make these third places for black people and other marginalized groups. Individuals come together to make these spaces available to those who need them, and these spaces often end up evolving far beyond the simple places they began as. Many of them end up hosting organizations that would become champions of the causes that mean most to the people in these communities. The Black Panther Party itself began as an after-school club, and it was far from the only example of organizations who grew far beyond their simple beginnings. So with this idea of the third place in mind, let's talk about a woman who was born nearly a century before the civil rights movement even began as we know it, and who planted seeds of these third places that would eventually blossom into more than she could have ever known. Nettie J. Asbury was born July 15th, 
1865, three months after Robert E. Lee surrendered to the Union and mere weeks since the last Confederate general surrendered to the Union in Leavenworth, Kansas. The conditions that Nettie J. Asbury grew up in are difficult to discern from the collection that she left behind for us, but one can imagine the uncertainty and more than a little fear that must have followed living in a place like Kansas with the history of bloody Kansas still fresh in mind, even before the advent of the American Civil War, as a first-generation free black person. The amount of tension that she must have grown up with, the feeling of having to forge her own place in the world, was something wholly new to Nettie's generation. And yet, it seemed that Nettie was able to forge ahead in ways that would have been impossible for many. Luckily for her, Nettie had a knack for the arts, and in particular, music, going on to defy the odds and not just attend the University of Kansas to earn a degree in music from the state conservatory, but to go on to earn a doctorate in the same subject. Such an accomplishment is cause for celebration today, so it is easy to imagine the enormity of this feat, accomplished by a black woman, the daughter of slaves, at the dawn of the 20th century. It was truly a significant time in history when, only a few decades after being freed from bondage, a black woman could earn the title of doctor. And that is precisely what Nettie did. After gaining her doctorate, Nettie decided to have a change of scenery, though for what reason we don't precisely know. We do, however, know that she found herself in Seattle in 1890, after which she relocated to Tacoma in 1893, where she would spend the rest of her life. In her new home of Seattle, it was not hard for Dr. Nettie J. Asbury to see the differences from her old home in the Midwest. Seattle at the time was far from diverse, with what little black population there was largely concentrated in a few areas, and without any real places to be. There were, of course, church congregations, but aside from that, there were no organizations dedicated to hosting the black women of Seattle or Tacoma. No place in the entire state of Washington, for that matter, that catered specifically to the needs of black women, even simply looking to be together. This lack of a place, of a third place, for the black women in Washington must have been a conspicuous absence to Dr. Nettie J. Asbury, leaving behind a place where people like her were much more common, though separated by the proto-Jim Crow laws that would come to dominate life for southern black people for a century to come. Still, Nettie was far from her Midwestern home, and so the thought must have come to her to create this space for herself. Whether it was out of a desire to have a place for black women to go, an all-important third place, or simply a way to get together with those like her and spend time together, we may never know. What we do know is that in 1908, Dr. Nettie J. Asbury 
founded the Cloverleaf Art Club, a club for black women to come together that was one of the first of its kind in the entire state of Washington. Nettie had sought to find a space for herself in her new home, and lacking one, she made something for all the women like her. The Cloverleaf Art Club held events open to the public that included speakers, songs, works of art, and more that black women could come freely to and not have to worry about being judged as they were in the other areas of their lives. In the collection that Nettie left behind, there are descriptions of these events, and they are fascinating to imagine. Songs, both hymns and otherwise, being sung by a group, speakers discussing things relevant to their particular lives in ways that these women might never have been able to discuss in mixed company, and works of art to simply take it and enjoy. Some of these events were even hosted out of Nettie's own home, where she would have been able to show off her collection of songs and sketches that survive in part in the collection. Through her move to Seattle, Nettie had created a third place where there had been none before, and she was far from done. Founded in 1917, the Washington State Federation of Colored Women's Organizations was an organization dedicated to continuing the work that Nettie had started by organizing small clubs and organizations in the state of Washington and giving them the support they needed to continue to support their own small communities. It was, of course, then a logical step that Nettie served as the president of this organization for many years, where she worked towards supporting black women throughout the state of Washington. Through a combination of working with local clubs, providing scholarships, hosting craft competitions, the organization sought to uplift the black community and help it reach the heights that they believed it could reach. Nettie served in this capacity for many years, helping foster the kinds of spaces that she had found missing when she first came to Washington and the kinds of spaces that she continued to fight for and help create for many years after. Not content with the organization she had already founded, Nettie took a further step of becoming a founding member of the Tacoma chapter of the NAACP, the first of its kind in the Western United States, and in doing so, creating another organization devoted to supporting the black population of Seattle and Tacoma. She also served on both the Tacoma Interracial Council as well as the Progressive Mothers Club of Tacoma while teaching music to children and community members during the day. Through her ability to bring people together and create spaces for people that had been traditionally ignored by the society, Nettie was able to further goals of racial justice and social equality in ways that she could never have done on her own. Dr. Nettie J. Asbury lived to be 103 years old, and she was interviewed on more than one occasion, with a particular interview being on her 100th birthday 
giving the somewhat odd title of the Ivory Doll to Dr. Asbury. She had taught music to children for over 50 years until she could no longer physically do so, and her impact on her newfound home was so great that there was a women's club made in her honor, aptly named the Nettie J. Asbury Cultural Club. This same club brought her flowers on that 100th birthday, and even as old as she was, she still held that same magnetism that drew people to her as surely as they'd been drawn to the songs and sights of her women's club half a century before. Dr. Nettie J. Asbury's goal was to create a place where people like her could come together, a place where they could better themselves and their community, a place where the kinds of struggles that face black women even now could be brought to light instead of hidden away out of fear or shame. Dr. Nettie J. Asbury sought to create a third place in Seattle, and in her efforts, those seeds she planted had sprouted and bloomed more than anyone could have imagined. Long Shadows of Seattle is a podcast project made in cooperation with the University of Washington. Our sources for this episode are materials from the University of Washington Special Collections and blackpass.org. Music is by Blue Dot Sessions. You can find more of their work at www.sessions.blue. Thank you for listening.